Welcome to Women and Manufacturing, where accomplished women interview accomplished women, with your host, Linda Regano. Hi, I'm Linda Regano, co-host of Women in Manufacturing, a new podcast series brought to you from the producers of Manufacturing Talk Radio. Now, many of you may know that women comprise half of the U.S. population, but did you know that only 27% of women are employed in manufacturing? So what do we do to attract more women to pursue a career in this wonderful industry? This is why Manufacturing Talk Radio created the Women in Manufacturing podcast. We did it to share stories of the amazing women who are working hard to make a difference in an industry that's so critical to our economic survival. Listeners will get a chance to hear candid conversations about female leaders, their rise to the top, the challenges that they've overcome, and what they're doing today to attract more women to the industry. We hope that you'll find these stories to be as inspirational as we do. And today, I'm delighted to introduce you to Megan West. Megan is president of CNC Software. She's a terrific role model to other women and men in manufacturing. She was named president of the company in April 2015, exactly 32 years to the date when her father, Mark Summers, started the company. And yes, Megan is a millennial. And she's also no stranger to manufacturing. She's going to share with us how she's had to work doubly hard to prove herself in a family-owned business, family-owned and male-dominated. Operating out of Tolan, Connecticut, CNC employs 175 people and is one of the oldest businesses in the CAD-CAM industry. The company was built on the concept of providing an inexpensive PC-based CAM system at a time when many other systems were expensive CAD-oriented products, and she'll tell you more about that later. Its flagship product, MasterCam, has grown to become one of the most recognizable brands in manufacturing worldwide. Megan worked her way up from the ground floor, and she did just about every job in the company, from stuffing envelopes in the mailroom to working in HR, marketing, manufacturing, engineering, operations, and the list goes on. Megan's rise to a leadership position was all part of the family's master plan, and unlike many other family businesses, the company participated in formal succession planning. In addition to her on-the-job training, Megan holds a bachelor's degree in marketing from Bentley College and an MBA in business management and marketing from Hawaii Pacific University. So that's enough from me. Let's get the show started and allow me to introduce you to Megan West. Hi, Megan. Hi, Linda. Thank you so much for having me. It's, oh, we're, we're glad to have you. So why don't we kick it off um, and get started hearing a little bit more about the company. I mean, you've been in manufacturing for most of your life. Why don't you tell our listeners about the company, yourself, and what it was like growing up in a family business? And, and of course, I would be, uh, I, I, I'm sure everyone wants to know about that Hawaii connection as well. <laughs> sure, absolutely. So uh, as you mentioned, um, I am the president and CEO of CNC Software. Uh, my father started the company actually two weeks before I was born. Um, you know, I think he, he panicked about having a child that he was going to have to, um, you know, raise and take care of. And so he figured he should probably start a company and earn a living. So <laughs> um, so he, he ended up um, joining up with two roommates and they bought an Apple IIe computer. They each chipped in $1,000 to completely bootstrap the company and, and got it started. Um, there have been a lot of evolution since then. And obviously, um, my uh, my uncle Jack, his his brother, uh, joined on and became the, the chief programmer. Um, and then eventually, um, a second uncle, uh, Brian, joined on as well. Uh, so it was really the three brothers that ran the company for quite a long time um, until I joined. Uh, let's see, it'll be nine years this March. Um, so I, I've been been here almost a decade already, which I can't even believe. It's it's gone really fast. 
Um, but, you know, growing up in the company, it was interesting because as a family business, you don't, you know, it, it wasn't a nine to five. My dad took the, the, the work home from him every night and um, I kind of loved it. You know, I would love listening to stories that he had. Um, you know, we're an indirect sales company, so we have resellers all over the globe. And, you know, he would talk to me about territory issues or um, technology issues that they were trying to face um, and trying to improve and, you know, sales of, of um, the product and, and process of how they develop it. And, you know, he would sit down and we would brainstorm together. Um, and it was, it was a lot of fun. I really kind of just clicked you know I was really engaged in it um, and the interesting thing is I'm the oldest of five children and I'm probably the only one that um, that really connected to the company. Hmm. Now did the others come um, on the job the same way that you did? It, well no it's it's actually just myself and then I um, I have a brother that's two years younger than me and he is out in California and he's a photographer um, a, a sister that's a few years younger than him and she's out in California as well and she ran a successful restaurant in San Francisco for five years and now she's um, farming in Sonoma so mm-hmm. kind of a, you know entrepreneurship runs in the in the family um, and then the fourth uh, sibling my sister Michaela she's actually the receptionist here at the office so she's she's much younger than me she's um, she'll be 21 in a few weeks so um, you know she's just kind of getting interested in the business and then my youngest brother is um you know he's still uh in college and and trying to figure out what he wants to do so um you know we've we've got a lot of interest but um but I'm the one that really uh connected to it so can you tell us a little bit more about how you came into the the business and and this the 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 mid-stop in Hawaii Sure, absolutely. So, I mean, I think part of it was that I, I sort of already always knew that this is what I wanted to do. Um, you know, from the age of maybe eight, I think that was where I, I knew I wanted to be involved. And, I, you know, my dad really saw that passion and connection, and he did a phenomenal job of nurturing it. Um, you know, I remember lessons of how to answer the phone properly or, you know, we would have resellers over for dinner and, you know, my dad would give me etiquette lessons on, on how to have conversations with, um, uh, you know, with business colleagues. And when I wanted That's to great. get a cat when I was 12, I had to put a business plan together, um, you know, a, <laughs> a budget for, for how much food it was. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, he, he really took the time and, and spent it, um, you know, kind of encouraging me to understand business and, um, you know, everything for him was a lesson and, and that was fantastic. So I, I knew I always wanted to be in the family business, um, but I wanted to make sure that I spread my wings a little bit before I ended up back in Connecticut my whole life. So um, after I graduated from Bentley, uh, my undergrad um, degree, I decided to move out to Hawaii for a few years. Um you know, just to to experience a different place, um, and I ended up getting my master's out there, um, and I I worked at Pearl Harbor as a development associate for a few years. Um, it was a phenomenal job. Oh, I bet, I bet, and and now, but back home though, um, your mother is also in the business, right? She is. She is our chief financial officer. Um, yeah, we've we've got a lot of people that. Um, are employed here at the company. You know, my father is, is still around. He's the chairman. Um, you know, he comes in a couple hours a, a day and, and still adds quite a bit of value. Um, and, you know, I'm certainly, uh, there, there's a, a certain sense of calm when he's here, you know, knowing that I have him to kind of back me up and, um, you know, he's there to bounce ideas off of. 
Um, I'm still learning from him and, and continue to. So that's that's really great. Uh, and then my uncle is the vice president now, um, and his wife is actually our events manager. And then we have um, some cousins and aunts and uncles uh, that work here as well. So it's it's truly a family business. That's great. And I know early on you had mentioned to me that it really was a factor in, in your passion because you felt that connection. It was it was literally, I guess, coming home every day, right? Every every day. You to know, work. absolutely. I you know I I drive down the driveway here. And it doesn't feel like I'm clocking in for an eight-hour workday. You know, it's it's like coming to my second home. I walk in the door, and immediately I see my sister's face, kind of greeting me as I, as I come in. And then my cousin is in the um, customer service department, and I usually see her walking up the hall to get coffee. And then, you know, I walk upstairs, and my uncle is in the the office right next to me. And it just, you know, being able to come in to a to a day like that and and actually get paid for it is. Um, you know, I feel pretty grateful and, and pretty lucky to be able to do that. So, so, Megan, one of the things you told me early on was that, you know, literally going to work every day felt like coming home because you were you know, seeing everybody in your family. There are a lot of family members. Can you talk a little bit about what that feels like? Um, but also tell our listeners, what are the big challenges with that? Uh, that's a, a, a good question. Um, I mean, yeah, it, it's it's interesting for me because I drive down the driveway, I walk in the front door, and it doesn't feel like I'm clocking in for an eight-hour day. It feels like, you know, I'm coming to my second home. I, I get greeted by my sister. My cousin is usually walking down the hallway to get coffee. My uncle is in the office right next to me. It's, it's you know, it's a little bit of a family reunion every day. And, and it's phenomenal. You know, I, I don't feel like I'm actually working. The fact that I get paid for it is um, kind of an anomaly. And I, I'm pretty grateful that um, I get to be in the career that I'm in. Um, but as you said, there there are challenges as well. Um, you know, my uncle and I are, are leading the company, and there are definitely times that we don't see eye to eye. And, you know, I think when there's a, a family connection, there's more sensitivity. You know, there's more emotion. Um, and the fact that we are so passionate about this company, you know, this isn't mm. a job for us. It's it's really our lives. And, um, you know, we're we're um, very committed to it. So, yeah, there, there are definitely days that, um, you know, that there's conflict. But, you know, I think at the end of it, we're, we're all fighting towards the same thing. And, um, you know, we always come together and, and find a happy medium. Mm. That's great. That is great. Um, one of the things that struck me was the the formality of the succession planning that your dad really um, put in place. Um, the majority of family businesses just don't participate in that kind of planning, yet your father insisted on it. Can you talk about wh- wh- what did that consist of and what was it like? Well, I think the fact that you know he recognized pretty early that I was interested in the business um, really helped out because it gave us more time to to think about what that succession plan would look like. Um, on top of that, we have a um, a local college, uh, UConn, which is right in our backyard. And at the time, they had a program that was called the Family Business Program, and so my dad, uh, you know, hooked up with that. And we were lucky enough to, you know, go to a seminar that they had one time, and it was it was kind of a group discussion, and it included um, people that were going through succession planning, and they were at any given phase of that of that plan. And I remember there was one company, and they talked about the fact that, you know, they put a very, uh, you know, formal process in place for the next generation. And so we took that back, and and we thought about it, and. You know, dad and I sat down and came up with, I had to, you know, obviously get my, my undergrad, um, but then I had to work somewhere else for two years. Um, hmm. 
you know, he didn't want me coming in straight from college. You know, I think it would have it would have a little bit damaged my credibility, but also my self-confidence. You know, I think it helped going away and, and working somewhere else for a few years, which was a, another factor in me going to Hawaii. Um, you know, mm. going out there was my opportunity to work somewhere else for a few years to, to gain some perspective and understand how other businesses worked. Um, so we did that. And then I, you know, was required to get my master's in management. Um, and then I had to work in a few different departments here at the company to, again, gain some, some credibility, some perspective and some understanding of, um, of how things worked. And, you know, as long as I could do that, and as long as I positioned myself in a way that, you know, I really earned the, the respect and trust of the employees, um, then I would be considered for leadership. And here you were in a, in a male-dominated business. Um, can you talk a little bit about having to work? You know, how how was how were you accepted in that business? And do you feel that you had to work extra hard because you're a woman, or because you're the daughter? So, you know, I think the interesting thing is well, and that's that's a a good point. I mean, I think I had to work harder more because I was family, not necessarily because I was a female. Um, and and I'll say that was really more internally. Um, externally, I had to work harder because I was a female. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, the, the people in this company have been incredibly supportive about the transition um, of me becoming the, the president of CNC Software. And not just the, the employees, but our resellers. Um, you know, we have, we have resellers in over 80 countries of the world. And, you know, as you might imagine, um, they're all men. And, you know, they certainly employ some females, but, but the leaders of every single one of those companies are men and been in the industry for 20, 30 years. So, you know, that was definitely a concern for me is how I would be accepted. But I got to say, you know, again, my dad really spent the time and he started taking me on business trips when I was 14 years old. Um, I traveled to Japan when I was 14 with him and, you know, got to meet some of our resellers there. I went on trips to um, uh, to France and to England. And, you know, so he really gave me some exposure and, and not just me exposure. He gave the resellers exposure to me, um, which I think really helped. Um, mm. And so I didn't, to be honest, gender never, it was just never a thing. You know, my dad never limited me because of, um, because of my gender. So I got to say the first time that I went into a machine shop, um, you know, it was when I first joined the company full time, I, I did a customer visit and uh, the owner of the shop wouldn't even look at me. You know, there was no eye contact, wouldn't communicate directly with me. And, you know, I tried not to let it bother me. And all I did was was continue to answer his questions, even though he directed them to my male counterpart. And yeah. eventually he realized that I knew what I was talking about. And by the end of the uh, by the end of the trip, he was talking directly to me, asking me the questions, giving me the answers. And, you know, so it, it was an interesting experience for me because I, I really hadn't experienced that at the company. Um, but I think I handled it the best way I could was was to just you know, to kind of own it and, and um, you know, prove that I knew what I was talking about. That's great. That's great. And, and one thing we probably should add is that um, you sell to resellers, but ultimately your end user or customer is a machine shop. And maybe you want to talk a little bit about how they're using your product. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's one of my favorite parts about being a part of this company is that our customers are doing anything from making gear parts, um, you know, for bicycles to making 
um, propellers or turbines for for aerospace parts and um, you know medical um, devices that you know they they make artificial hearts using Mastercam um, to to create the tool paths to to cut those parts and it's oh, wow. just absolutely amazing to me what um, what our customers do and you know we've got one customer that that um, sends rockets out into outer space and so I always like to say it's no longer the sky is the limit. Um, we've pushed so much further past that. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. it. Yes, it's literally the universe. <laughs> so, which which kind of leads us really to to um, you know, I I know that you care deeply, obviously, about the business, um, but also manufacturing in general. And you know that there's you know a lot of issues um, that continue to plague manufacturing, and that's you know the image of manufacturing, and of course attracting new talent. Um, you want to talk a little bit about what do you see as the biggest challenges that the industry is facing as a whole, and and what are you doing about it? You know, this was something that I recognized pretty early on as I as I really entered the industry. Um, I remember going to a few uh, conferences, and and the issue was brought up about um, the skills gap. You know, we have what what I like to call the silver tsunami. You know, the the average engineer is. Um, over 55 years of age. And that means mm. in the next, you know, 10 to 15 years, we're going to see a, a pretty um, heavy shift in in the population of our um, of our engineers, of our machinists. And right now we are not producing skilled workers at a at a pace that's fast enough to um uh, you know, to keep up with that. And that is a problem because manufacturing is the backbone of our economy. It's, it's helping to keep our country strong and, and alive. And I mean, quite frankly, it's a defense issue. You know, if we can't, um, you know, cut our own defense um, parts, then, then we're in pretty big trouble. Uh, so right. I, I think it's, you know, not just mine, but my company's and, and my community's responsibility to um, shift that perception of manufacturing. So, you know, I think the perception comes from a few things. Um, you know, back when I was, I, I actually give this presentation um, about, you know, what is your first, you know, image that you associate with manufacturing? And for me, it was the movie Flashdance. Um, you know, you've got Jessica Biel and she's a welder and, you know, she's in the manufacturing industry and, you know, they, they portray it as a very dark and dirty and, you know, kind of a, a road to nowhere type of mm. career um, or not even a career. It's just a job. You know, they, they just, they don't paint it in a very good light. And um, I always say that that movie didn't make me want to be in the manufacturing industry. It made me want to be a dancer. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, and about it, but I think others, there's, right? Exactly. <laughs> but, I, you know, I think there's a lot of that. You know, there's just a lot of this perception of, of manufacturing as a dirty, dingy kind of job that, you know, the working condi conditions are, um, you know, in a stinky shop, that it's cold or, you know, not good light, the hours aren't great. But I, I got to tell you, the shops that I've been in in the last 10 years, I mean, you can eat off the floor of some of these shops. You know, they're they're it's high precision technology. It's not just manufacturing with oil and, and grease and what have you. It's I mean, the stuff that they're doing is absolutely mind blowing. Um, mm. And if we can get not just students, but their parents to understand what those opportunities are, then I think we'll be in a much better position. Um you know, and I think on top of that, the fact that a lot of the manufacturing went offshore, you know, back in 2008, 2009, um, you know, parents didn't want their their 
kids to get into manufacturing because they weren't they weren't sure if there were going to be jobs for them. Um, but there's a lot of reshoring happening. There's um, a huge resurgence of manufacturing. Companies are, are bringing it back home because, well, quite, quite frankly, the, the labor costs um, no longer make sense for us to, to offshore, you know, to send things to China or to India or um, wherever. And, and on top of that, the quality issues. You know, we know what the quality is if we produce something. Um, and so I think we're, we're seeing a really big, uh, big shift in, in the industry. Yeah, no, I, absolutely, I agree with you. I, I think also there's a lot of, um, you know, we, we've gotten as parents, you know, we there's this pressure, you know, to have your kid go to college so that they can have this, you know, this well-paying career, and kid, not every kid is college material, um, and there's, you know, a wonder there's wonderful trade school options, and I think a lot of parents, if they knew, um, I mean. I, how many times do we say that in manufacturing you can often find a better paying job with better benefits and better hours um, than you could from, you know, coming out of college with a four-year degree and, you know, in, in a major? It, well, that's exactly it. I mean, college is for some people. Don't get me wrong. It's a great place for um, for people to go and get an education. Mm-hmm. I went to a four-year college, and, and I loved it, you know, and it, it made sense for me. But, you know, I also think we have to stop viewing trade schools and, um, you know, kind of those two-year year, uh, colleges as a secondary choice. You know, I think right. we've pushed students that just couldn't get into college to that, and so it was sort of seen as a, um, you know, as a backup plan. But but that's not the case at all. And and because of the fact that there are going to be so many open positions, that makes it a lot easier for that, you know, promotion or, or working your way up the ladder. It's going to happen a lot faster for anybody that's serious about manufacturing. Um, you know, you get somebody that is um, talented and is able to do five-axis work. I mean, they're making upwards of six figures because they just there's such a low supply of those types of workers. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so there's there's a huge opportunity there. And it's I mean, I'm hearing from you, too, and just from our, our uh, first conversation that there's a real that there really needs to be a grassroots movement to propel this industry forward. And it's not just the partnering with the schools, but it's the, the parents and the internships. And um, maybe you could talk a little bit about what you're doing there, because I know you bring you do a lot of um, reverse mentoring as well as offering uh, job shadowing, I believe. Right. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you look at this as a top-down approach, I think we're gonna we're gonna miss the boat. You know, it's just gonna take too long to to get excitement happening and and to get people really engaged in the industry. So we've we've t- taken it upon ourselves. We said, all right, we know that there's a problem. What can we do here to to make a change? And and maybe that's not gonna change the entire country or the entire um, industry, but you know we can make a, a difference where we are. So yeah, we, we partner with local high schools. We give tours on a regular basis to, um, to local schools. They come in and they see, you know, because the other thing is, is the limited understanding of what manufacturing is and what kind mm. of job opportunities there are. And while we're not necessarily a manufacturing shop, we do have a, a shop on premises where we do all of our R&D. So we've got machines running, we've got, um, you know, parts being cut. And so students are able to, to really see what that looks like. And then on top of that, what are all the other positions that it takes to be able to support that type of industry? Um, so we, we do that. We uh, this, this past October was, I believe, our fourth um, manufacturing day that we hosted, and we had something over 200 students come in. Um, 
oh, wow. through the building and, and spent time. Yeah. And it's, it's fantastic to see, you know, some of them just aren't interested and that's okay. Not everybody is, but you can see the light bulb go off for a few of those students. And, and all of a sudden it's like, huh, this might be something that I could, I could really latch on to. And it, it's so wonderful when you see something like that, um, you know, cause oh, that absolutely. might be the start of their, of their career. It's, it's fantastic. And it just think if every manufacturer approached it the way that you did, um, this wouldn't be an issue. It, exactly. <laughs> I yeah. mean, and that's no, the it's, thing. It's, it's really up to everybody to, to do their part. You know, I, I don't mm-hmm. think you can rely on one group or one person to, um, to make this happen. It's, it's got to be everybody reaching out to their local communities, opening up their doors. And, um, you know, because it's really just about exposure. It's about familiarity and education. Um, you know, I think that's what's really going to make a difference. So, so how does so what what are the big challenges that you see just from the industry going forward? Um, you know, is it is it primarily attracting and retaining talent, or are there other things? I mean, there are so many things right now. Um, you know, being in a technology industry, everything changes so fast. Um, mm. You know, I, I always think about you know when my dad started the company, there were no other competitors in the industry. You know, and, and not just competitors. I mean, people were. St- we're just starting to understand computers and and there were really no expectations from customers. You know, if my dad could go to a shop and show them that he could draw a line on the screen and then put a toolpath to that line, I mean, they were, they were ready to buy. They were Mm -hmm. absolutely sold. You know, there, there wasn't much that he had to do um, to wow them. But now, I mean, the amount of competitors that there are in the industry and, you know, again, we're not just competing with other cam, you know, competitors, we're also competing with what other people are, are uh, exposed to, like virtual reality and video games. You know, the millennials don't want to sit down and use a cam package that, that looks like something that's DOS-based or, you know, something prehistoric. You know, they're, they're used to sitting down and playing Call of Duty or, or, you know, whatever game it is. And, you know, the graphics and the interactions are, are really impressive. So, you know, we're constantly figuring, figuring out ways to make that user experience better. Um, so it's not just the, t- the technology and the tool paths, but it's, it's the entire um, look and feel of the software as well. So, um, and then add on, you know, we've got 3D printing, we've got cloud-based technology. Um, there are just so many things that are, um, you know, they're very parallel to what we do, but, but we, we have to pay a lot of attention to that technology and um, be ready to shift when that time comes. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's fascinating. So, so let's let's uh, no pun intended. Let's shift gears <laughs> and just talk a little <laughs> bit about um, increasing. We said early on that um, you know only twenty you know twenty seven percent of women are in manufacturing today. Um, can we talk a little bit about what do we need to do to get more women passionate about career in manufacturing? I mean, I know it starts at student level, but what what about women in general as a population? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. The the fact that there is such a low number. You know, I, I don't look at that as a challenge. I look at that as an opportunity. You know, that mm. means to me that we've, we've got, you know, ways to go to be able to, um, you know, kind of balance it out. And, and that means that there's, there's opportunity for women to, to get in there. And, you know, I think as a female, I, I know that there are certain skills that I have that, um, you know, relate very well to manufacturing. Um, and, and I know that, that women will excel and, and succeed in this industry. And it does start uh, at the school age and, and 
you know, as early as you can. Um, my father actually did this project with me with my Girl Scout team um, when I was seven years old. We had to do this. Uh, it was like a Christmas, you know, you want, we wanted to get your Christmas badge. And all the other troops were doing paper plates with pretzels to make, um, make reindeer. And my dad said, I bet we can do better than that. So he actually designed a, a Rudolph the Reindeer head uh, using Mastercam, and my Girl Scout oh, troop came into the shop, and we yeah, and we we cut a reindeer head out of wood on the CNC machine. Um, and I'll tell you what, I still have that reindeer today. Um, it says you know November nineteenth, nineteen ninety, so it was uh, almost twenty eight years ago, and. I have a funny feeling that most of the girls that did the paper plates and pretzels, um, they probably don't have theirs. And, <laughs> you know, for me, it was just, it, that was probably one of the first things that really engaged me and excited me and, and gave me some kind of an understanding of what was possible. Um, and I, I know that some of the other girls in my troop, you know, they, it was the same thing. You know, I think they didn't realize how things are made and it was kind of a neat um, process. And so, you know, I'm trying to pass that down um, to the next generation. We actually, next month, we're hosting a Girls of Manufacturing Day at the office, um, oh, reaching out to some local yeah. Girl Scout troops. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're coming in and, you know, we'll, we'll give them a tour. We're going to do a, a fun project on the machines and, um, you know, really focus it on, on girls and women and, and you know, kind of get the ball rolling and get some excitement going. I love it. I love it. Oh my gosh. I wish I lived closer to you. I have a, my daughter is seven and I'm a troop mom oh, and there's 27 girls. So I'm going to find out if there is a uh, facility nearby that we could do that with. Cause that's that your, would be your, fantastic. Yeah. It's a definable moment. Yeah, uh, absolutely. It is. So go ahead. I'm sorry. It, no, I was just going to say it is, it's, it is a definable moment. It's a moment where they, you know, they, they start to understand, um, you know, the behind the scenes. And I think that's important. One thing you mentioned, you know, I've been hearing a lot about your dad, right? And your dad has been, uh, he's obviously very progressive um, in, in doing this and, in, in, you know, in bringing you on board and, and teaching you that, you know, that, that girls can do anything. How good of a job do you think women are doing today in mentoring other women? Oh, it's kind of a loaded question. <laughs> um, you know, I think there are some women that are doing a phenomenal job of it. You know, I've I've met a lot of women that are in manufacturing, you know, on my journey through this industry that are, you know, really pushing hard on, um, you know, getting that next generation in and getting them excited. Um, but, you know, I think if the other thing is that if you're not in the industry, you're not doing anything to promote it. Um mm. And and so it's almost like there there are women that need to take that first step into understanding what it is to be able to to pass on um, education and information to the next generation. Yeah, that's a good point. It's a good point. Would you encourage your daughter to to pursue a career in manufacturing? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I'll, again, to be a part of of making things that are literally changing the face of this earth. I mean. I just think it's so um, admirable and, and uh, amazing to be a part of that. And, and speaking of children, you have how many kids? I have two children. I have a three-year-old daughter, um, Zoe, and a six-year-old son, Holden. Okay, that's great. And are you bringing your, your son into the business as well? Uh, you, you know, we'll see. I, it, it might be one or the other. Um, it depends. I mean, they, they both spend a lot of time at the office. They come in, um, you know, and visit me at work. So they're they're kind of growing up here the same way that I did. Um, you know, I definitely spend time, you know, 
letting them know what I'm actually doing. And um, they've, con- they've gone on business trips with me as well. So, um, you know, I'm not going to push them, but, but if they spark interest, then I will do my absolute best to, um, to cultivate and foster that. That's wonderful. How, how do you think manufacturers rate if you were going to just put a rating to them in terms of creating more work-life balance or flexible schedules? I think they're getting better. Um, you know, they're, they're definitely doing a lot to um, increase employee engagement. You know, and I think mm-hmm. that's for companies, you know, whether you're in manufacturing or not. I think employee engagement is something that, that companies are really starting to understand is important in being able to retain talent. And the manufacturing mm-hmm. industry has to retain talent right now. I mean, that's that's pretty much their their biggest opportunity is, is holding on to the talent that they have. So I, I think there's definitely a shift in, um, you know, in that work-life balance and, and understanding what really motivates their employees and keeps them happy. Okay. So early on, can you maybe just share what was the, what was the best piece of advice you ever received? Was it from your dad or was it from somebody else? Oh, you know, I've, I've had so many mentors my entire life. Um, it's hard. It's almost hard to pin down one piece of good advice because, you know, the fact that I had, you know, not just my father, but my mother that was in the company as well. I mean, she, she was a force to be reckoned with and she still is, you know, she's just one of the strongest women I know. Um, and then all, all the the resellers out there, I mean, I had a lot of people, um, you know, really kind of mentoring me from a pretty early age, but um, yeah, I mean, my dad was definitely, um, you know, he still is, he's, he's kind of the, my guiding light in life. And, you know, one of the things that he always told me is don't limit yourself. You know, Mm. it made sense for, um, for me to take over the company. I know that he's thrilled to be able to have, you know, his, his children stepping in as the next generation, but he never forced it on me. He never, um, you know, said this was something that I had to do. You know, he wanted to make sure that it was something that I was passionate about and that, you know, felt right. And so I think that was probably the biggest piece is, is, you know, find out what makes you happy and then do that. So I guess, so I guess we answered the best advice you would give to somebody, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and to, to kind of push that along is find out what makes you happy, do that, but own your destiny. You know, don't wait for somebody else to tell you what to do. Don't wait for somebody else to, to give you a leg up. You know, your opportunities are the ones that you create. Um, you know, I never just sat back and said, okay, I know that I'm going to get my dad's company because, because that's not how it would ever have worked. You know, if I didn't put in the effort, if I didn't do the work, if I didn't, um, earn the respect of, of the people that, that work here, it wouldn't have been successful. Um, so I really owned my destiny and, you know, we came up with a very solid plan and I followed it to a T and, and that brought me to where I am. So I think, um, you know, sitting back and, and waiting for things to fall in your lap is, um, you know, I, I think that's a scary place to be. So I would say find what makes you happy, do that, but own it. I love it. No, that's great. It's great advice. And, and obviously you're a role model um, to, to many people and hopefully to the, the listeners that are out there right now or that will be hearing this show. Um, any last thoughts or advice that you'd like for our female or male listeners? <laughs> uh, you know, I, I I think that that pretty much sums it up. Is um, you know, we kind of get one shot at this, so so happiness is pretty important, and finding that balance. Um, and I've been fortunate enough to be able to find both. You know, I, I have a wonderful career that that makes me exceptionally happy. Um, and if you can find that, um, you know, do whatever you can to hold on to it. 
Oh, that's great. Great advice. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate the time that you spent with us and your words of wisdom. Um, so we're closing in on the end here. And uh, Megan, I just want to say thank you again for joining us and sharing your experience, thank strength, you. and hope for the next generation. Um, and listeners can hear the full podcast at womanandmanufacturing.com. I'll say that again, womanandmanufacturing.com. And uh, thanks to all our listeners. We'll look forward to seeing you again on our next program. Thanks so much, Linda. Thank you for listening to Women and Manufacturing. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.